Hi, my name is Nick Cassavetes, and uh, I'm the director of The Notebook. I think the film is going to start here in a minute. And uh, let's see. This script was uh, initially brought to me by a film company called New Line Cinema. And uh, they approached me with a script that, that was an adaptation of a Nicholas Sparks novel written by Jeremy Levin. And uh, when I read this, uh, when I read this script, I knew immediately that I was going to do this uh, movie. It was uh, maybe not my type of movie or some kind of a movie that you would think that I would feel like directing, but I sure did. By the way, these opening shots that everyone thinks are so beautiful uh, were not shot by me. They were shot uh, by my dear friend Kevin Connolly and uh, all second unit shots. So when they brought the project to me, New Line said to me, listen, we got a movie that Reese Witherspoon wants to do. She's starring in this movie. You want to work with Reese? I said, sure, sure. I, I've never worked with her. And uh, we, <laughs> I, I, we got on this film and read the script, and uh, Reese eventually wound up not doing it. But uh, I love the script. and. Uh, there was many directors on this uh, show and uh, before in different incarnations. I think Steven Spielberg and Martin Campbell and uh, I know a no number of different directors had tried to make this movie and I think Ashley Judd was going to do this movie with somebody and uh, maybe even Tom Cruise was going to do this movie. But for some reason, The Notebook hadn't been made five years after it was a bestseller. And it's a great story. By the way, the, all these birds are CGI. There's, they're not really there. So uh, when they sent me the script, I, uh, I immediately accepted. And I didn't want to hire two people that we'd seen fall in love in any other movie. I wanted to hire, like, you know, the usual thing that directors say. I want to hire unknowns. But it wasn't that. I just wanted to hire a couple of people that were, look at those. Those birds aren't real either. Those are computer things. I wanted to hire two people that you could really believe were falling in love for the first time, and it was their only love. And uh, we wound up, hi, Mom. We wound up uh, hiring Ryan Gosling first. Uh, I, immediately when I read the script, I knew I wanted my mother, Jenna Rollins, to play Older Allie. And, uh, oh, look, directed by Nick Cassavetes. And so... Really, the, the, the choices for me of casting were to hire the young boy, the young girl, the young other love interest that James Marsden uh, wound up playing, and uh, the part that uh, James Garner wound up playing. They call him Duke, but really he's older Noah. I hope that doesn't spoil it for anybody. all my heart and soul, and for me, that has always been enough. How's it hanging, Harry? This is all shot in a warehouse that they built. Sarah Knowles, our production designer, uh, built this. And uh, Big day today. this young lady right here was a PA on the set. She was very nervous when she was doing her first acting thing, but she was terrific. Let's take a walk. This scene right here is a reshoot. It was shot on a soundstage in Los Angeles. What we, I wanted to do 
was, here's the story. The story is of a, a, an older woman who doesn't remember her past. She's had a great love in her life. And an older guy comes and reads to her and tells her the story of her life. And uh, in hiring James Garner, there was thoughts of, 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 you know, all the usual names are thrown out. First of all, for me, directing, part of the good parts of directing is you cast people who you really always want to work with. And I'm less of a director that, that casts on type you know, like, oh, this guy is perfect for the part. I just take my favorite actor, and I figure they're my favorite actor for a reason, so they can do what, you know, what, what the part calls for. And uh, I thought to myself, Nick, I said, Nick, so much of the movie for older Noah or Duke is the reading of the story. Who would you want to tell you a story? And uh, ain't nobody in the world that can tell a, a better story than Jim Garner. Ali was 17 years old. Little man wins a prize. Thank you for Ah, there's Kevin Connolly, my friend on the left. Uh, he plays Finn, which is Ryan Gosling, who is uh, Noah's best friend. This carnival, we built all this thing ourselves. Actually, we rented a carnival that came in to a. Uh, yep, on the right, that's Queenie. That's my girl. She plays uh, Sarah, uh, Allie's best friend. And there's Rachel McAdams. Anyway, so I'm talking a lot. But. Basically what happened is I met with Ryan. I saw him in The Believer. I thought he was a smoking actor. And uh, I said, look, I want you to do the movie. And New Line said, to their credit, they were like, Ryan Gosling? I said, yeah. And they said, okay. So we hired Ryan. And then they said, well, who are we going to get with Ryan? And who are we going to get with Ryan? And uh, so what we did was we did, we searched around for a lot of uh, different actresses. And we, we actually put a lot of people on tape and a lot of people that you probably heard of. So I don't know what the legality of saying, you know, who those people are is, but uh, when Rachel auditioned with Ryan, we didn't need to see anybody else. She was awesome. She came in and she was, they just both were in tears and they really connected well. The girl on the right, the pretty one, that's Queenie Walquist, the greatest person ever to walk on the planet. And it's not bad on the eyes either. See, there was a lot of talk about whether this scene should actually be in the movie. Uh, the studio didn't like it, but I liked it. I liked the idea of a guy making grand gestures of love for his girl and the possibility of seeing a girl and going, you know what, I just want her. I'm going up there and I'm gonna get her. There's a stunt guy jumping on the car and uh, a lot of the scene, this actually the camera was mounted up on the up on the Ferris wheel for this particular shot right here, as you see. So the background goes all crazy. Who is this guy? I don't know. When Ryan uh, eventually jumps off right here, he's heavily harnessed, and they did a lot of wire removal. I don't know if that's interesting to anybody but me, but you know, all for all you film geeks out there. Anyway, so. Rachel, I went to the studio and I said, I want it to be Rachel. And at least I had tape to show them why I wanted it to be Rachel. And, and they said, okay, absolutely. They were really great. So we had Ryan and Rachel and we had mom. And uh, I hired uh, James Garner. Then we had, you know, our four people. And the only thing really left to do was hire the part of Lon, which was played by James Marsden. And uh, 
God, I'm glad we did. He did such a great job in this movie. It's not like you've seen him in any other movie. Look, there's Ryan's actually hanging from one arm right there. He was, he was, uh, he had wires to support him, but really he's, you know, 50 feet above the ground, hanging from a bar from one arm. This scene, it was so damn cold. We were up there on the top of this thing, and the wind was blowing, and it was raining, and we're all up on cranes shooting this shot. Oh, that's Andrew Schaff right there, the guy in the blue suit. Uh, watch where he puts his hand at the end of this thing. He somehow grabs his inner leg or something. It's really awful. Uh, Andrew and I are dear friends. Uh, we've worked together on uh, two films now. We worked together on John Q, and uh, there he is grabbing his leg. Uh, we worked together on two films, and... Uh, he played uh, young Allie's date. It's that girl from the carnival, right? Do you remember me? Yeah, sure. Mr. Underwear, was it? This is a scene right here where he comes up to what happened was we shot the older, but we shot the part. What happens in the movie is that there's two parts to the movie. When they first meet, and then they get torn apart for a number of seven years, and then they come back together, and they, they meet again. And so we shot all the stuff that was the seven years later part first, because Ryan put on like 25 pounds and grew a beard, and he wanted to look a lot different. Ryan, I think when we filmed this, is 22 years old, and uh, he had to play you know, 28, 29 years old, and he wanted to be authentic, and he came in full of muscles and, uh, you know, just with a beard, and he was just, it was awesome. And so what happened was we shot the film later part of the year. We took a Christmas break, and we we're off for a couple of weeks or three weeks, and, and Ryan was supposed to lose the weight when he came back in and looked like a kid again, like he looks right now. We shot the uh, beginning part of the movie, the older stuff, and we learned a lot. And part of uh, what we learned was we needed to write a new opening. So over the Christmas uh, holiday with... The help of Mr. Levin, we we wrote this. Uh, we wrote uh, these opening scenes. This scene and uh, when he takes her out, and then when they dance in the street, which is a completely different opening than uh, that what was originally scripted. Look how great Ryan is here. He's a wonderful dancer in real life, and uh, he really is just a charming boy. Uh, uh, he really made this scene. Come on, one day, what's it gonna hurt? Mm, I don't think so. Well, what can I do to change your mind? The street actually is in, we're just right outside of Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, this is, this night scene is in Charleston, South Carolina. You can tell by the steam coming out of their mouth. It was like, I don't know, maybe it was 20 degrees that night. And we're supposed to be in the summer, you know, having a really great summer romance and there's steam coming out of the mouth. But you know what? You know, sometimes you have the luck with you, and sometimes you don't. Uh, that's Kevin and my girl kissing. Oh, my God. And uh, Peter Rosenfeld, who is our Steadicam operator, shot that scene before. And uh, he, uh, we've worked together on John Q and this, too. And Robert Frez, who is just a fantastic, fantastic DP and very patient, does not... Uh, you know, with me because I like a lot of specific things. When you're a director, you look for, it's easy to light things and things look all the time lit, but uh, Robert's camera work always looks just luscious and gorgeous. And uh, look at that shot. I mean, it's, it's just, he's just a great DP.
Anyway, the reason why we're shooting this scene is, you know, it's a getting to know you scene. We didn't want, you know, people to just look at each other and fall in love like some teen movie. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to kind of like the notion of falling in love and being in love the first time and forever is something that I as a person believe in. It didn't happen to me that way in life, but I believe in it anyway. And I, I think that most people would like to believe the possibility of that. Uh, <laughs> When Brian laughs there, they were saying really vulgar things off uh, camera to him. And, uh, and now, the scene that we're shooting right here, we didn't have a lot of time to shoot it. And uh, basically what happened was we had one night to shoot a number of different pages, which is director's dilemma the whole time. So I went to the young actors and I said, you know what, this is a really hard scene. Would you mind shooting this all in one? Would you mind just you know, that we just do it and we don't cut. And uh, they said, of course, we're actors, we'll do that. And they, uh, they saved our behinds right here. This is all, I think we had maybe uh, north of 100 yards of dolly track here. We're 300 foot dolly track all in one shot. And we originally had music all over this scene too. It was really weird because when you're a director, you don't know anything. Anybody that tells you they know how to direct a movie is lying. If you go in and you try your best and you fight for the truth in every moment and every scene and, and you try to correct and guide and help and stuff, but really going in, nobody knows how to direct the film. So having a long three-minute scene like this shot in one shot is pretty scary because you have no control over it. Uh, but what I was saying about the music is I learned something on this film. We put music over the scene, and it was dun 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 dun. You'll hear that later on in the uh, in the uh, in the in the movie. But what happened was, when we played the music, you stopped kind of listening to what they were saying to each other because it kind of made you think like when music always makes the audience feel like everything's going to work out. If you put this into two people walking, and you think, oh, they're going to fall in love. Well, it was too early. You know, they hadn't even talked or hadn't even got to know one another yet. And uh, there was plenty of time left in the movie, so we decided to leave it dry, which was weird. You can hear the actual trains uh, that were actual production trains and some of the squeaking of the dolly track <laughs> in this, uh, if you listen closely. What? I always figured you were kind of... You have to understand that lighting outside at night along a street this long and... Uh, and uh, it's just a monumental job. There's a ton of people out there doing a great job, and and the grips just did a great job on this uh, on this shot. When we stopped the camera right here on the dolly track, we were out of room. We had no more room to go. It was just luck. It was. I think it was one of the first takes. I'm gonna get run over. By all the cars. This is another one of the scenes that we wrote over the Christmas vacation, and. Uh, lying down in the middle of the street and elements of freedom and the uh, nature of two people having private moments. They could do whatever they want. She, she was kind of rigid and he really didn't care. And uh, it seemed much more elegant to me than to have you know, some guy going, hey, baby, you're pretty, or, you know, things that other, other kind of uh, courtships that you've seen in movies before. And the fact that when you laid on that street, it was like a block of ice. Okay. See, now, when you have a shot like this and you see these two big, beautiful profiles, she lays down on it. You don't understand there's 
four blankets and a pillow underneath her head to get her head position just right. And uh, this is shot from a crane way above uh, the traffic light. And what happens if a car comes? You die. What? These guys were dead tired and cold when we shot this thing. But uh, I don't know, it was just nice to take a break in the movie, uh, you know, let these guys come together. Hmm? You asked me what I do for me. Uh -uh. I love to paint. You? Yeah. When we're out here, it's the middle of the night, and when they get up and they uh, and they dance, we had big gigantic speakers that were was playing uh, Billy Holiday. Uh, I'll be seeing you, and uh, they were really out there dancing to Billy Holiday. And when we saw them do it in the movie. By the way, this effect of lights right here, it's just a guy on a, with a, a light running at him with a stick So uh, that for that one shot. Um, but getting back to it, these guys are actually out there in the middle of the street dancing to Billie Holiday. You know what? There wasn't a person around watching that wasn't feeling romantic at that particular time. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> You want to dance with me? She and uh, Ryan, Rachel and Ryan, didn't get along as well in the very beginning part when we shot the movie. They were just kind of like, they missed. They didn't get each other. But after the Christmas break, when we came back and uh, shooting these scenes, they kind of clicked. And uh, like I said, Ryan's a heck of a dancer. And I think she used to be a figure skater. And uh, so I always like these things. You can, and she's so lovely, or she's the loveliest, it was called. I always, for night exteriors, I like to shoot a long lens and look at all the, the lights, you know, blurring out and prisming out in the background. It's beautiful. You're a terrible singer. I know. But I like this song. I couldn't have made this movie without Alan Heim, our editor. I, I, I gotta say, Alan Heim, he just was such an incredible help with me. and. Uh, you know, he edited films like Network and and Lumet's films, and he just was a genius in how to put this together. Because if it were for me, and in the first cut, I let the scene run about 15 minutes long just because I liked it. And uh, throughout the movie, he's just a master of taste and, uh, and uh, simplicity, and he really, really, he's much of a storyteller as I am. I, I still just, I kind of get moved every time I, uh, I watch this particular scene. It's uh, maybe not how love actually is, but it certainly is uh, how love should be. Southern summers are indifferent to the trials of young love. Armed with warnings and doubts, Noah and Allie gave a remarkably convincing portrayal of a... My focus with the older couple, Noah and Allie, when they got older was, you know, these kind of thoughts occur to you as a director. You think, okay, here's a guy, if you look at it one way, here's a guy that puts his uh, wife into a nursing home. Uh, why does he put her there? If he loves her so much, what the heck is he putting her there for? Well, she has Alzheimer's. Okay, we'll find out that later. But still, she has Alzheimer's. You know, my grandmother had Alzheimer's, and she stayed in the house, you know, for her entire life. There's Queenie again. Look how cute she is. And... Uh, this montage of them falling in love, I hope it's effective, but we didn't have enough time, at least for me, to, I'm a guy, I'm a director that likes to, that takes me like a half an hour to say hello. And uh, what was I talking about? Oh, uh, the older couple, 
I, I was like, okay, so why does he put her in a nursing home? Well, he puts her in a nursing home because it's for her own good. And not only that, the romantic notion is he lives in the nursing home because he wouldn't, he can't be far away from her. He has a big, beautiful house, but he goes into a nursing home and lives with her. And they have a, a little a couple of dollars, so he puts her in the nicest nursing home that he could put her in that looks like one of those old southern plantations. And that's why I chose, um, where we shot this is a place called Black River Plantation, which is the most beautiful place on earth. And uh, I thought, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, it doesn't look so much like a nursing home. And, and I said, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way I wanted it. I didn't want it so institutional because I just didn't believe he would ever do it. By the way, uh, Sam Shepard is the greatest. Okay, let's talk about how cool Sam Shepard is. I'm talking to myself in a room here, by the way, uh, but he is just fabulous. He uh, he came in and uh, Brian had really liked him because Brian's a big fan of Terry Malick's and he, he loved uh, the movie Days of Heaven. And I'm like, well, you guys look a lot alike. Why don't we why don't we hire Sam Shepard? He's like, no, you're not. Come on. I said, yep, let's let's hire him. And Sam was really generous enough to come in and 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 work on this film. And and Sam, if you ever listen to this, I uh, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, your work is spectacular. And what and what people don't know about Sam, besides the fact that he's a good golfer, is that he's really friggin' funny. I mean, Sam is doing basically straight comedy in this thing, and uh, he's playing a, a character who's a little bit off. And uh, I don't know, he just has. There's a certain authenticity to everything he says and does, and he walk in on if you ask him to do something that doesn't feel right, he's like, no. And you're like, can you try it? And he's like, mm, no. And not being difficult, he's, he's got a million different uh, things that uh, he'll do, and I'm not trying to say I'm cooperative, because God almighty, not the case at all. We had a couple of good nights. Uh, I, had a really, I had a really good time with working with Sam. Now this is shot not in uh, South Carolina, but this is like I think the beach in Malibu, and all the birds again are computer birds because we wanted to have elements of birds going through there, and uh, <laughs> this scene was ridiculous because the tide kept coming up and the cameras kept getting wet and had guys with like steady cams in the water and the waves are rocking them back and forth and the, and the cameras are and the water's washing the cameras, you know, moving their positions and. Uh, it was weird because you have a scene about abandon here, and like we shot this maybe a year after we were filming, so these two guys are just, you know, they're so far away from their characters that they've been a, a lot around them, away from them for such a long time that not only do you have to do the scene, but you have to like, she had to be, you know, lost in the scene and, uh, a lot of people thought this scene was too schmaltzy, but I say, hey, if you think this scene is too schmaltzy, watch the movie. You know, anybody that says that this movie is too schmaltzy doesn't understand the nature of love is the way I see it. You know, when I love somebody, I am schmaltzy. I feel, I love my love big, and I love it romantic, and I hope this movie uh, reflects that, and if, if it does, then I think the movie's a success. This scene is, uh, was part originally of montage, but I liked it so much that it made it a little bit longer. And uh, what we're trying to do here is 
you know, show the fact that young Allie, you know, could come and just be a normal person. She wasn't some cloistered kind of rich dame that, you know, that had that couldn't, uh, you know, travel the classes, so to speak. God, we laughed during this scene. All, all Ryan did was just yell at her the entire time, and we, and we all broke up. Uh, and we're uh, we're out at this uh, this river here that was freezing cold once again, and uh, poor Kevin had to go in. And uh, of course, Rachel did too. And <laughs> that was a normal screen. And this was shot second unit too. Somebody went out and shot that that first shot there. And this right here, I'm actually riding on the car on the other side of Rachel, watching the scene right here. So for everybody that thinks it's easy to, to act naturally, and by the way, Rachel actually slaps him right here. And this is a real slap. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. And, uh, you know, of course, because the young actors say, slap me. It's okay. I don't mind. I think she rung him up pretty good. No! You're about to see an actor, the only actor that I've worked with in all four films of mine is a, a man uh, named David Thornton who is a chameleon and he's a type of actor and I hope he doesn't get upset when I say this, that uh, you have sometimes as a director you say, okay, God, this part is impossible. This part is really hard. Oh, I know, I'll call Dave Thornton. And he's wonderful in this uh, part. He's a, a Yaley, lives in New York and... Uh, I did uh, Unhook the Stars for them. He played Marissa Tomei's uh, husband and looked completely different. We did uh, She's the Lovely with him. We played the, the homosexual hairdresser with really long hay-o. And uh, then in uh, John Q, we played Denzel Washington's best friend. And in this one, he's playing a very rich Southern man. Oh, boy. Little boy goes, Daddy, I don't understand. He goes, well, in theory, we're both millionaires, but in reality, we live with a bunch of holes. Here, that's Tim O'Brien, by the way, a wonderful writer who wrote Going After Cacciato. You only saw him laugh for one second. Uh, Tim O'Brien, my friend and probably America's greatest uh, literary talent, uh, certainly the greatest modern modern literary talent. Right there, he, there he is. Receiving logs and stripping the bar. Well, that's lovely, dear. Thank you. If you don't mind my asking, uh, how much do you make at your job? Let's talk about Joan Allen for a minute, can we? Uh, Joan Allen is awesome. She is just a fabulous talent. When I found out that we offered the part to Joan Allen of, uh, of, uh, of Allie's mom, and she said yes, I literally jumped out of my chair and started dancing around the office. And if you have ever seen me dance, it's just not very pretty. And... Uh, Look at how how she smiles him away during the scene. She just is, she gets him, and she just she's got his number. She's a lovely, lovely woman, and uh, and far too talented to work with me. The scene was initially designed to to kind of delineate the fact that she could travel into his world, but even though he was comfortable traveling into her world, that uh, her world wasn't buying him. And, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, I, and when I talked to Joan about this part, and I, and I talked to the studio about this part, I said, come on, tell me a mother, you know, I mean, a mother doesn't 
hate a guy because he's got no dough. He's just, they just feel like what uh, Dave Thornton says later on in the movie. He says, it's just not suitable, you know. I mean, it's nice that, that uh, a young lady has a dalliance. By the way, water freezing in this water. They were so freezing that when Ryan and Rachel jumped in, we had to have the guys go get them because they were, they were literally, their bones were freezing. Look, he's grabbing her, and we had to cut out of that shot really quick because these guys were about to go into hypothermia. This house is a house that we found, the one that, that Sam Shepard's house, we found out in the middle of nowhere. We had to drive like two and a half hours to get there, and I, I made everybody do it because I love this house so much. I had some problems with the MPAA on this movie, uh, right there when he has his hands on her breasts. There were some scenes that I really wanted to have in the movie, or some, some versions of scenes, that they didn't feel was appropriate for a PG-13 rating, which uh, I learned a lot about on this film, too. One of those is one. This, uh, this is not an actual abandoned house. This is dressing on the house that he winds up actually building for, which is actually a beautiful, beautiful, by the way, this is shot day for night. This is all in the daytime and they change it. So it looks like it's night and then they drop the moon in. Um, this is a real functioning house that they just put exterior. They put like this wallpaper that makes them look, this paper that makes it look like it's old and abandoned. It's crazy. And this is shot inside a stage. This is actually all on a stage. Uh, the lovely and talented and not to be, never to be, you know, minimized her work. Sarah Knowles is as much a part of this film as I am or any of the actors or anybody. Her design and the way she makes it look, it's just, I don't know, it, 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 it is what the film is. If you like the film and the way it looks, you can thank Sarah Knowles and Robert Frez, the two of them. Yeah, gigantic piece of crap. <laughs> but I'm gonna buy it one day. I'm gonna fix it up. The reason we decided to shoot this film in South Carolina, the film is written. I mean, the book was written for North Carolina in a in a place called New Bern, New Bern, North Carolina. But North Carolina didn't feel as southern to me as South Carolina. I mean, if you've ever been to the two places, you'll know what I'm talking about. South Carolina is the essence of the South, you know, and. Uh, I just felt the rigidity of and the the lifestyle of the way Southern people lived, especially back in that time, really helped our story, you know. And the South is the South, man. When I was shooting there, you know, just because I come or time comes or whatever, the South's always going to be the South, and it's beautiful that down there, man. And uh, the rivers and the the lush landscapes and the plantations and the rice fields uh, just is uh, it's something that I thought that this story w w gave a lot more to the story than maybe being in North Carolina coastal town, which is uh, where it was written. So p apologies to Nick Sparks if uh, I stepped on any toes. Ah, Chopin. She's playing Chopin. There was much, you know, out of the notes in the movie, like, you know, you turn your film in and the studio has notes on your film, uh, everyone seemed to be focused on how poorly that piano played. 
Yeah, if, <laughs> yeah if, if, if I made it sound beautiful, they're like, there's no way that piano's been sitting there for 50 years that it would play that way. So we've, uh, we, uh, we wound up uh, making it sound really bad. <laughs> I can't play chopsticks with you doing that. <laughs> Aaron Zygman, who is my composer and also my dear, dear friend, uh, did the music for The Notebook. I think that The Notebook score is timeless. He has four or five themes in there that would be the main theme on any movie, and uh, I think he's a friggin' genius. And uh, the score of the music in this movie is not to be overlooked. I always think about music like this. It's always the same. It's always about the hook. It's always about the melody. And, you know, when you're directing, a lot of movie music is kind of like filler music and like different movements and stuff, but it doesn't really grab you. It just kind of sits there because there's some dead time in a movie. But Aaron comes, when I do a movie, Aaron comes to me with, uh, hold on, I'm going to have to cut back to you because there's something funny about this. When we decided we're like, how can these guys come together? They're going to steal away to this old abandoned house and they're going to make love, right? So we were like, you know, everything seems so really romantic and like, hi, baby, let me take you in my arms and stuff. And we came up with this idea, the two actors and, and I, uh, of having them just undress in front of one another, like standing across, like really creepy-ish, kind of what it was like when you were a young kid and you felt like really uncomfortable with yourself and nervous but really driven by your what was going on inside your bodies and and uh, I thought it was an interesting idea that they just had to stand apart and kind of like take in one another and take in the humiliation of being naked but at the same time it just was uh, it was kind of I liked the, the creepiness of the fact that these guys the, the attack on that scene. Otherwise, you know, how many times have you seen a guy and a girl, they get to a place and they're like, baby, I love you, and they fall on the floor and it's on, you know? Which, uh, I was talking about Aaron Sigmund, and uh, Aaron comes in the beginning of this movie, of the movie, he looks at the locations, he talks to me about what I see about the movie and what, uh, you know, what, what it means and why I'm picking this thing, and he really, he's there, like, He's there six months before the movie's made, and he's writing from then on, and uh, he knows as much about the story of the movie as any person on the, on the set. And uh, then when he writes something, I, I always encourage him to write beautiful themes for the movie. They can never have too many themes. And uh, boy, did he deliver on this one. Unbelievable. This, uh, this scene was shot from many different sides. Uh, uh, everyone was properly clothed, I assure you, offside of the, uh, outside of what you're seeing on the lens. It's always really weird shooting stuff where two people are undressed and uh, there's a lot of, a lot of, up. Oh, her arm better hide this and his arm and uh-oh, you can see his underwear and, uh, you know, so it, it, it's not, it's not nearly romantic at all. It's it's probably some of the most technical acting, but uh, I want to say favorite scenes in the movie right here for me and him. Ryan pointed out so so uh, poignantly that he only says "I love you" one time in the entire uh, movie, and it's right here. Uh, 
And uh, once again, I like the scene that they start to make love, and she talks way too much, and she can't, you know, she can't, uh, she just can't get over her nerves, and the simple fact that she she says, "I love you," you know that calms her down. And Rachel, God bless her, she takes an hour to say, "I love you" back, but uh, I believe her when she says it. The two of them were just, I don't know, they just had a, a really great chemistry between them. The, thing, the great thing about Ryan Gosling is that he's never false, ever. As a young man, you know, we all have tendencies, even uh, me as the director, you know, especially me as the director, we want to make the scene work and we try to mutate things to make it work. But Ryan never changes. He believes in one thing and he just... He's just in it, you know? Uh, he's as fine a young actor as I've ever worked with, and I don't believe there's any finer uh, working in America. He's so smart that I just hope he keeps acting because, you know, he's a, he's a gift to us all to when we watch him. I'm sure he has aspirations to direct and to write, and it's, it's, there's only so much things that you can do creatively as, as an actor. I'm sure he has other itches he needs to scratch, but God dug it. It's a, it's a really a pleasure to watch him work. Uh, we're actually shooting in a museum here at the Allie's house. I wanted her to be, well, I was like, the, Sarah Knowles, our, our production designer, said, what do you want to have here? And I said, well, you know, kind of like Gone with the Wind. And there are no houses like that. Uh, that was a movie set. Like, so we wound up shooting in this big, beautiful, it, it's, it's, I believe the house is a, a museum. They have tours in it. Look at this stuff. All of this stuff in this, this place is, you know, we didn't put it. We, could, we were not allowed really to touch anything, but they allowed us very graciously to shoot there, and it just looks like she's got a lot of dough. This scene was originally played more on Joan and uh, Rachel and Dave in, in this room, but as we're cutting it, we cut a version of the scene where a lot of it was played over Ryan and what, what it was doing to him, and it seemed to be very effective. God bless Joan Allen. God bless Joan Allen. Such an unsympathetic position to take, and she makes you, you, know, makes you understand it. Not for you. Trash, trash, trash. Really, really enjoyed working in this place. Boy, this was just very beautiful. Yeah, I usually work with the same people on on most movies. I, uh, my producing partner Butch Kaplan, where I worked with on She's the Lovely and uh, and John Q, and he is a guy who is credited as an executive producer. But really, he loves movies. So you know, his responsibility is the bottom line. But uh, he he has a weakness for film, so we, we work together almost every film, and uh, really enjoy working with him. And, I, and then I also worked with with uh, Mark Johnson, who is the actual satisfactual producer on this movie, and the one that actually gave me the job. And we've become very very good friends. And uh, he's the one that owned this material, and he was he's got such such great taste that. Uh, 
as far as creatively. He uh, he really helped guide this film and me into the place where he wanted it to be. And you know, you cannot overlook or uh, or minimize his contributions to the film either. All right, once again, we're shooting late at night, and you know, of course, we're shooting in the middle of winter, and it's supposed to be summer, and it's really freezing outside. This was a tough scene for uh, Rachel and, and, and Ryan because, well, I think more so for Rachel because she really knew what it was like to lose somebody personally, to like, it, she really knew what it was like to break up with someone, and, and she wanted, I think she had a preconceived idea of how the scene should be and you're gonna have a million we always have a joke with Rachel like what are you doing in this scene oh yeah I'm crying again and like what are you doing in the next scene I'm yeah I'm crying so and, and I think that she really wanted this scene to be like it's never gonna happen if she really loved them that she'd be broken up crazy over them right and we did a few takes of it like that and it it seemed okay it seemed fine it, and it, but you know it kind of seemed normal and then I just kind of let these two guys go at it, and Ryan, in in this, he struck, he had a real. I think this is his focal part, a uh, focal point in the movie. He didn't like this scene. He understood it, but he didn't like it because if he loved her so much, just because the parents didn't think he was suitable for her, why would he let her go? Why didn't? Why wouldn't he say, "Yeah, I will go with you to New York"? Why? You know, he he really took it from his character's point of view, and couldn't understand why he would let her go if he really loved her. And uh, uh, I think he came to a great place in his head in that he just wanted to get out of there to be able to clear his head, and he talked to her in the morning. So, but the the onus of the scene was he had to break up with her because she says, "Are you breaking up with me?" Please don't do this. And don't mean when we got into that element of confusion about what the two people, two people's intentions were, it, uh, it, it started to become clear. And then we had this idea that she would just go and beat the hell out of him when he got to the car. And he liked that, too, because you really can't st stick around while a girl is beating your head. And he starts beating his own head. And uh, people looked at that and they said, are you crazy? She's beating him up and he's beating himself up. I said, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what we we're going for. But uh, it had the kind of ridiculousness that when we're fighting with the people that we love, it seems to be an element of that all the time, at least with me. I mean, I don't usually punch myself in the face or anything, but I, I do stuff that's equally and say stuff that's equally preposterous. We shot this at the, the, the Boone Ranch. Uh, the Boone Plantation, excuse me, credit to Boone Plantation. Where th Now, this is the Black River Plantation, which we assume is a nursing home. You could tell because there's extras that are older walking by in the background. This is also at the Boone Plantation. This is uh, setting in motion the fact that she's not going to be a... She's not going to be uh, allowed to stay with him. Look at this dining room. This is a museum. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine eating in a dining room like that? I mean, I could never get by with something that small. And we're not supposed to be leaving for another week. Get dressed and then come and have some breakfast, dear. Willow will pack your things. 
Oh, I'd be happy to pack your things, Miss Alice. This is another scene which was a kind of a shout fest, a real screaming and yelling, knock down, drag out between mother and daughter. But it also, when we cut it together, seemed a little familiar, like we'd seen that scene in movies before. And Miss Allen is so exquisite and fine that we couldn't uh, couldn't let that happen. So when we played it out, it uh, it seemed to be better. We really knew who the boss was and who wore the pants in that family after that scene. Where's Noah? He's out delivering a loaf. This is a scene where uh, she can't find Noah, and she's got to she's got to she's got to leave because her mother's forcing her to leave town. And once again, she has to leave town, and they're in a fight, and two uh, star-crossed lovers torn apart. I was up all night with him, Allie. I've never seen him so low. It's over. Don't make it any harder than it already is. <laughs> One of the things that you have to understand in making the notebook, a lot of this is set in the 1940s, which uh, creates a lot of different, not problems, but complications for the production. Have to use 1940s cars. They don't always work. Uh, all this machinery that uh, at this lumber yard is is authentic uh, from the 1940s. If he wants to talk to you, he'll write. You know, as well as costumes and uh, each individual, you know, a, a lot of Rachel's outfits were had to be made to her because, you know, you need doubles on them because they they rip and they tear and. So it it it. Uh, it creates kind of a complication trying to create the illusion of the 40s. Some directors and some filmmakers would go crazy with their with their portrayal of the 40s. What I, for me, I wanted the cars and the uh, you know everything to be authentic, but I didn't want to jam it down your throat because I felt like this was a story that was viable even today, that these kind of things could happen, even though you know the rules of love were a lot different in the South in the 1940s. It still could happen today, and so basically, I wanted I wanted the film to have a be set in the 40s, but not play into the stilted language of the 40s or. I never wanted there to be an excuse of why did they do this? Oh, because that's why they did it in the 40s. Because, you know, even though that's true, oh, who can relate to that? So that's what we use. Oh, here's a great scene. This is Ryan came running up to the, uh, come driving up to this fence and ran into it by accident. He hit the brakes, the brakes locked up, and we ruined this beautiful fence outside the Boone Plantation. And uh, he was mortified that he, that he drove up there. Uh, he came driving up, and uh, our uh, first assistant director, Randy, said, he's going to hit the fence. I said, no, he's not. He's got it. He's going to hit the fence. Bang! He crashed right into the fence. And um, he got out, and he I, he almost looked at a camera. I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. I said, keep going! Like this. And we had a real... Trouble in that particular scene, this scene, excuse me, with uh, Joan Allen right now is a reshoot shot in Los Angeles. Uh, we felt like we needed uh, an insert of the scene of like, mm-hmm, I'm keeping them apart. Already, 
But going back to that scene at Boone Hall, he he drives up and he's like he's like Nick. I just don't want some cheesy scene where I'm grabbing onto the bars, going Alley, Alley, you know, like this. And obviously, and he says, you know, he was like, how do I know they've gone? How do I? She, I said, well, because you know, you got the message from Finn. And he said, yeah, but I mean, you know, I said, well, okay, let's lock the gate. By the way, this is all computer stuff. There are no buildings around here. We shot this, and that, those clouds are actually computer clouds. That all that stuff behind them is not real. There's there's just a, a just that that old. We shot it by like an old crane. But he said to me uh, in that other scene, he said, Nick, I don't want there to be some cheesy scene where I'm like going, Ali, Ali, how do how you know how do I know they're gone? I said, Well, we'll lock the gate. And he came up and rammed the gate, and that's what that scene became. This scene we shot just outside of Montreal, Canada, and the day before we shot this, it was literally 40 below. We wanted to have the sense that he had lived, and uh, we did a minor recreation of a, a battle that might have been in something akin to the Battle of the Bulge. But we didn't have very much money to shoot it, and we only had one day, so we did a condensed version of this. But it was important that you know we got out of the uh, the South, and we knew that Noah had gone someplace and had suffered loss. Of course, Finn is is died in that scene, but uh, it was so cold, man. Oh my God! And the French uh, Canadian crew up there was absolutely fabulous. Oh, there's the guy with one arm. Uh, nobody liked that I put him in this in the scene, but uh, I I thought it uh, this uh, was a, a a wonderful touch. There was a lot of people that uh, were uh, that had uh, that were injured and real veterans in this thing, and I it gave a authenticity that I liked. Although some people laughed at the <laughs> how gigantic James Marston's cast is here, and even. <laughs> The DP, when he saw the dailies, he's like, this guy's got a cast, you know, from his head to his feet, and she's yanking him up, sitting him up in bed. I said, well, that's what they would do. And he said, well, I don't believe it. My intentions are completely dishonorable. <laughs> Once again, James Marsden was supposed to, to meet her in a hospital, something like this, but the scene was a little bit different. When we hired Mr. Marsden, I wanted to hire somebody where, like, he wasn't a pushover, where you might believe that she would choose him. Uh, look at this guy. He's not a bad, he's not a bad runner-up, you know? I mean, the guy is a good-looking, charming, funny guy. I didn't want to make him a jerk, like, oh, why did Allie should definitely choose Noah because this guy's a jerk? No, she should choose Noah because she loves Noah. And this guy's great. She just... He didn't get there first. She might have fallen in love with him, like it, it might have been her first love and her only love, but the other guy got there first. And I didn't want there to be anything wrong. I didn't want some uptight, stuffy kind of guy. I actually think they were doing some funny business in the car right there to make that scene work. This is outside a hotel right there that Sarah Knowles, our lovely production designer, uh, uh, dressed. Uh, <laughs> Rachel is allergic to horses, so she had a hard time with riding on this horse. Now, the band leader, 
who is playing a Cab Calloway type of uh, character is Oba Babatunde, who is my friend, and he... Thank you, Oba, for doing this. He's a phenomenal dancer, singer, uh, and a wonderful actor, vastly and rudely underused in this, uh, in this movie. And he, is, he made the whole scene for me. He was just, he was just lovely. And there's uh, Joan and David dancing. So, getting back to the Marston character, I didn't, want, uh, I didn't want there to be any mistaking the fact that if she had not seen Noah later on in life, she would have been happy with this guy. He would have been like most of the, our lives that we lead, you know. We, I would say the vast majority of people in the world have a young love and they don't wind up with them, you know. And we're okay. But wouldn't it have been nice if we never had to do that? And we would only have had that one love and it was true love and, and they would always be there for us. But Mr. Marston, I really appreciate what you did for me in this, uh, in this movie because it is the part, he's, he's the guy that loses, but he was sweet and he, if you know Jimmy at all, he's funny and incredibly quick and smart and, uh, and you know, on top of it, he's, he doesn't have, he doesn't take himself real seriously. He's, he's a lovely guy and, and uh, the chemistry between them, I liked. I, I, to me, this is one of the more, I wanted this to be, pretend like we were in New York here and, uh, and that these guys would get along on more of an intellectual level. And they said, well, what level, these two actors said, well, what level do we, you know, get along at? I said, I think you get along on a, on a, you know, on a great intellectual level and a sense of humor and probably on a sexual level too, you know, and that's not the totality of love, but it can take you a long way. You know, you know, you can you can do fine on just those three things. Marry me, make me the happiest man in the world. And when uh, Jimmy proposes to her, I wanted him not to be a stiff. Going, could you marry into my family? Because we got lots of money, and uh, you know, you should be, uh, you know, you should really like me because I'm handsome and I'm rich and I'm I'm proper. Yeah, the guy is exactly what her mother wants for and exactly what she should marry but he's also got a great personality and you know he does a couple of gestures too you know of love he stops the band and uh points out how lovely his woman is and uh i think he's a great guy now see that shot where they're kissing right there that was stolen from earlier when he was sitting down because we had no coverage to get around uh, for those of you that don't understand that, uh, it means that I had a shot on her, but I didn't have a shot on him, so I just stole it from another part of the scene. And, uh, and thank you, Alan Heim. <laughs> oh, good to see you. Let me see you. You bleeding anywhere? This is Sam Shepard at his best. Oh, boy, I, I really liked working with him. Come on, assume I got to show you. Come on. This is shot inside of uh, a stage. Oh, uh, not inside of a stage, inside of just a kind of an office building they had here on, you know, right next to our offices in Charleston, South Carolina. Yep. Sam Shepard has got great, great comic timing. And you know how it's really interesting being a director of writing for uh, Sam Shepard. You say, well, I, had, I thought you might do something like this. And you look at him and you, you know he's being so polite because he's looking at you going, Kid, I could have written this so much better than you did. Check my Pulitzers if you don't believe me. But he's so kind and uh, so gracious that he uh, he goes out of his way to make you feel like 
you're actually saying something that uh, he respects. All right. I think I need to talk a little bit about what I believe it is the director's responsibility to a movie. You know, you're presented with a script, and I always say that directing a movie is like telling a joke. Say the say the words, have the you know comic you know try to get you know get the timing right, and say the words. And if you can tell a joke, you can tell a story. You know, you don't want to be telling a joke in the middle of it, go on and telling a story about it and get sidetracked and do all this kind of stuff. You really want to keep, for me, you keep to the story. But in that. You know, every movie has a story, but what I think the director really brings to it is, what does it mean? What does it mean, each individual scene, each kind of movement or act of, of, of what you're doing, even though I don't believe in acts? And for me, I think there's a lot of things I, I would have liked to have gotten across, as we talked about before, the possibility of falling in love with somebody you know, the idea that she could fall in love with uh, James Mars, then they look like they're having a pretty good time in this scene. The idea that Ryan's character, Noah, would love her from the moment he saw her till the day he died. And building a character around him that would never change. And if he didn't have, we talked about this a lot, if he didn't have her, he would go home and he would be in the house that he built for her, and he would live there the rest of his life. Sure, would he have you know, sexual experiences with other girls? Yes, maybe even have relationships, but he wouldn't give his heart. And he would sit there, and he would build this house for her. And if she came, then it was a miracle. And if she didn't come, then he built it, and he would stay there, because that would be the closest he would be to being with her. Of love. Others called it something else, but in fact, Noah had gone a little mad. And it's a romantic notion, but it's one I, I support and I stand behind. As a director, really, what you do is you always have a story. And you just look for how, what's the commonality? What does it mean? What is, what is, what are you trying to say? And a great deal of that is, uh, that's my, uh, my, good friend Bob Forrest in the background over uh, James Garner's shoulder. But uh, you, you, you really, what you do is you try to, to build a realistic world that surrounds your characters. I always say that being a director is like the least creative job, you know, working with the most creative people. Most of the time, you're on a set and, you know, you're shooting a shot and uh, the actor, you know, misses his mark or something like that. And the DP says, uh, could you get him to stand on his mark? He was a little soft and he wasn't in the right light. And, you, and what you do, you're a translator. You walk over to the actor and you say, you know, really, I kind of need you here. And if you want to go someplace else, you got to tell me because I got to relight him. Oh, and I'm, I'm just delivering messages. And the sound guy says, oh, by the way, that's our DP, this French guy right here with the hat. We dressed him up and made him a buyer right here. He's a, actually a pretty good, pretty good actor. Uh, or the sound guy will say to you, uh, Nick, I couldn't hear them. Uh, could could you have them speak up? And you say, uh, could you just uh, is it, can I mean, could you speak up a little bit, or would that screw up if you? And and really, what you're doing is delivering messages. But if you're if you look at a movie, and I, I'm a director that doesn't work with any monitors or any of those that kind of stuff, uh, I sit right by the camera, 
and I look at what's going on and what the actors are doing because if you have a choice between a monitor and watching what's going on, there's something about, I call the monitor a lie box. The reason I call it a lie box is because when you're on set and you're looking in this little monitor, the things that you see in the monitor aren't the things that actually you'll see when you project the film. And the things that you see when you project the film are things that you watch in the actor's faces and what the dynamic is. And actually, even if I can't see the actor, if I have a choice as a director to be in a spot kind of a little bit further away to be able to see the actor as well or be right next to the uh, camera and kind of have a, uh, a kind of a blocked vision, I'll take the part right next to the camera because you can almost like really feel what's happening. I know it sounds like a esoteric kind of new age kind of nonsense, but it's not. There is a something happening in every scene, and it's your job as a director to detect it and to give it, not to, to create it, but to, by very definition, to give it direction, say, maybe this way, give it a little nudge right here. And uh, that's only if, if the scene's not working. Sometimes when you talk to me, you don't even see me. This young actress, Jamie uh, Brown, she is a phenomenal actress. I love what she does in this scene. By the way, this is Ryan and his, and his, his look. With the, we shot this before Christmas. This was his look with the, this is his beard and he's about 20, 30 pounds heavier. And, uh, uh, but look at the dynamic between Jamie. Watch her listen to him. Because they're good. These are two people right here who just don't get it. She's going to be emotional right here, and uh, right. he's really trying to be well. And the only time you know she's emotional is when she turns her head to the light right here, and you see the tear dro dropping off of the side of her face. And how do they solve their problem? They have a drink. Yes, I know that relationship. Anyway, uh, Jamie Brown, there was uh, this the part of Martha. When we had all the, the, the leading roles cast, the part of Martha was kind of the plum part. And uh, Matt Berry, who is my partner in crime, he's worked on every movie with me. I, I've, we go back to, we acted together in a film called The Wraith many moons ago. So I've known him since 1986, and he's just got a great eye for talent. And he tells me when I'm full of baloney, and, uh, and for that I, I really appreciate uh, A lot of people were suggested for the role of, of Martha, and many of whom you would have heard of, but, you know, it just got to be too much, and uh, I, I was already shooting the movie, and I hadn't cast the role of Martha, and Matt and his uh, beautiful and lovely partner, Nancy Greenkeys, auditioned a bunch of girls and put them on tape. Now, I don't audition people. I hate it. I hate auditioning actors. I think it's a humiliating process, not only for them, but for me. I'm not one of those kind of directors that'll sit there and watch a lot of performances on tape and go, no, that's not the one I'm looking for. Keep going. Basically, if I like somebody's work, I will hire them because they have confidence and I have appreciated their work before and, you know, I have confidence and if we work together that we're going to find it. Uh, and that's kind of the way I go. Memphis, where we at? But uh, I didn't have that luxury here and... Uh, and Matt did put together a bunch of tapes for me for uh, the role of Martha. And 
I gotta tell you, man, that girl can get it. She just flat out, uh, I mean, there was a number of girls that were probably more not typical or sensible choices, but they were probably what you would have thought that part should have been before you saw Jamie Brown in this part. And then you just see Jamie, and she just took her time and works from really a very internal place that, uh, I don't know, it affects me. And, you know, I, to be quite honest with you, there was some people saying, I don't know, maybe you should hire the other one, the other, you know, who knows, and blah, 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 blah. Jamie, you're the greatest. She was so spectacular when she showed up on set that uh, the whole, the crew, everybody was blown away. And uh, I'd work with her anytime. I need to clear my head. Okay, should I be worried? No, I don't think so. Oh, well, that's, that's reassuring. Uh, this is what I like to call the Casablanca scene because uh, Rachel looks like she's about to walk with Paul Henry off onto the plane. Um, do whatever you need to do. Looks okay. To right there, yes, we'll always have Paris. Before you win. No. Here's another problem for the movie. The way it was scripted in the script, and I'm not sure if it wasn't in the book, is that she lied to him in this scene. She said, ah, no, I'm just going to go get, I'm going to look for some antique furniture or something for our house and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he said, oh, all right. And once again, James Marsden and uh, the part of Lon, he recognizes something's wrong. And he's a great, he would have been a great husband. I mean, he, what does he say to her? Go ahead, do whatever you got to do, you know? It's okay to have cold feet. He really, she gives him an out to be mad and to be upset, and he doesn't. He, he, he just, I think he loves her. And uh, getting back to the point of, I just couldn't allow our lead actress to be a liar. So... Uh, she had to tell him that she had to, she couldn't tell him that she was going to go find her long lost love, but she couldn't, she couldn't tell him a lot. Anyway, that seemed important to me. This was an interesting scene that uh, Ryan, originally when I had, had done an adaptation of this thing, I had Ryan, she comes to the, the house and she says, are you okay? And he says, am I okay? No, I'm not okay. You left me. Uh, you ran away. I never heard from you. My dad's dead. My best friend's dead. My life is ruined. And now you're going to show back up here, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, one of those speechy speeches. And uh, Ryan looked at it and said, do I have to say this? I said, why? You don't like it? You know, hurt because he didn't like my uh, the words. And he said, I just would never say that. And uh, God bless him. He was absolutely right. Absolutely right. Also, I had written a, or we had written a scene of uh, where she had like run into some stuff and and banged some other stuff and had a kind of a comedy kind of story. I'm glad you like it. Setup where she knocked over some fence posts and backed up and you know kind of banged her car around trying to get out of there, and that didn't work. The editor uh, convinced me that my idea was bad, and he was right, and I was wrong. Now. All right. I loved her. This actress is so beautiful. Uh, she was just a lovely person. She asked me, uh, she said, uh, 
what would what would I like her character to be? I said, I want your character to be somebody that I would leave the love of my life, and she'd be okay. You can read music. Okay. This right here, this young doctor, is my casting director, Matt Berry, and my dear friend. Uh, he's got voluminous acting uh, credits, but uh, you know, he just had the inside track for this part. He turned out to be uh, wonderful. The reason we cast Matt is that I wanted to have somebody who looked competent, but somebody that Jim Garner would be just far too young for Jim Garner or any older person to look at and say they knew anything about life or or the nature of love. And you know, he winds up lecturing him in the scene, and uh, Garner is—he's uh, not having any of it. Uh, Matt is a, a wonderful actor. Uh, he was the lead in a Bertolucci film called Luna, and uh, once again, he's, uh, we, we did a movie together called The Wraith many moons ago. Huh. You don't think it'll help? No, I don't. Jeez, look how, how great Jim is in this scene. Uh, I'd forgotten about this scene. Uh, directing James Garner. You know, dementia is irreversible. You know... It's degenerative. I was a little apprehensive to directing Jimmy because he just done so much, you know. And you know, as no matter what kind of director you are, you always think, "Well, geez, Louise, he's Maverick, and he's you know, you know, uh, what's that? What's that show that he had? Uh, gosh darn, it's one of my favorite shows. What's the name of that show? Uh, what's the name? Uh, Rockford Files, right? Anyway." He'd just done so much. He's just a, such a veteran that I wanted to make sure I was really on my game and telling him stuff that was, you know, I thought halfway intelligent and, and rooted in kind of emotional intelligence as well as, you know, you know, logical intelligence. And, you know, I, my usual, I was a dork, and I came up to him, and I, was, I said something inane the first day, and he said, all right, kid. And uh, <laughs> we, got, we got along pretty good. I was, I was straight with him, and... You know, with uh, Mr. G, you, he's so dead on every time, and I like the nature and the, uh, the, the dynamic in the scenes to be a little bit dirty. And uh, I think that I, I, I think that when you love somebody, you can be tough with them. And, uh, and uh, when I explained that to him, I think he really liked it, you know, that he didn't have to be this kind. I didn't want kindly older guy with a kindly older woman, and they kind. Everybody loved each other, and would, you know, would uh, you know, go off to you know Hallmark heaven. But uh, and I think it really, really helped us later on in the movie. If you love somebody, you love them enough to tell them whatever you feel. Anyway, Mr. G is a professional. He shows up. The crew loves him, of course. He's the greatest. Uh, he always has a, a quick joke and a, and a compliment for everybody on the set. And he, and he comes in and he does his work. And if you ask him to do something, he really, he's got a very kind of, a very charming personality. But at the same time, you see him really process what you say. And, you know, he just keeps getting better, man. He's really, really, really phenomenal. I, I'm really... I'm blessed as a director to have worked with uh, somebody that talented. And then later on in the movie, when he exposes 
himself, not exposes himself, but he exposes himself emotionally. He just lays it all out there. And, you know, I think that that's really what I like best about this movie. If you had to ask me, what what's what are you the most proud of in this movie? Because there's a lot of things. You always look at it, you know, I, as a director, you look at a movie and you say, oh, gosh, I wish you could have done this here. And, you know, it becomes one big, gigantic laboratory experiment to yourself. But the thing I think I would be most proud of personally would be the fact that I was on a set where each one of our actors was willing to lay themselves wide open emotionally and just let it all hang out. Because any body can criticize a movie like this. Oh my God, it's a weepy, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, you know, it's a love story and everybody, they love each other so much. Give me a break. I want to puke. But it's important, man. It's important to, to, even if you disagree with the movie, and a lot of people will, let's say, but even if you disagree with the movie, it's important to talk about the limits and the the depths of love and how you feel and what feel what feels correct for you and and what feels what is the essence of love because it's an elusive thing. It's different for every single person. This is just one take on it, and it's a big romantic take. I know that, but uh, to be able as an actor to feel comfortable enough to let yourself go, I just be there in something and in this type of a story and not feel like it's ridiculous or you have to protect yourself or I'm not going to do that or and just let it all hang out. That's a great compliment for a director that, that these people would would trust the environment that much. Not yours, his. Oh. Do you mind? Oh, I'd, I'd love to meet them. Come over here. This is a scene with my dear friend Nancy Clemish, she just got married to my buddy Joe, and uh, this is Meredith Seeley, and uh, uh, this is, oh, she's a lovely young actress, and the boy is, wow, I worked with this young boy uh, when his name was different, and I'm not going to say what his name was back then because I know he's going under another name now and I never can remember it, but he played me in a play in 1980-something with... Uh, Christina Applegate played his sister. It was unbelievable. Anyway, these are the children. These are the children of, of course, Jenna and uh, Jimmy Garner. Of course, she doesn't remember them, and the scene is heartbreaking that they introduce them and they have to pretend like she's... They've never met her, their own mother, because otherwise she'll be upset and that's not good for her. And uh, once again, tough notion for a scene. I know there's something about today. Gosh, this place is beautiful out here. Maybe it's a day for a miracle. I, I don't think I've fully talked about how devoted the actors were to making their characters authentic. Both Ryan and Rachel came down six weeks early before we started shooting, which is unheard of for an actor. And Miss McAdams went to, I had her, I had her going to three or four or five different 
I guess they're etiquette classes, you know, where she would learn how to speak French. She would learn how to play piano. She would learn how to, uh, she would have her dialect. She would have her tennis lessons. She would have, uh, she, she was busy from morning till night and just getting ready for the movie. And, uh, and Mr. Gosling came down early and he was in the gym trying to get his, his body in, in, in the right shape. And he would go to and work. You all right? As a wood as a woodworker, and he would go out and on the the lake and take canoe lessons uh, or boating lessons to make himself. I mean, and if we hadn't had him, if he hadn't known what he was doing in the boat, uh, and he quite got quite good. If he hadn't known what he was doing in the boat, we would have. It would have cost us. Just forget the money. It wouldn't have looked real. But the commitment that these actors had, coming in and playing these parts and really doing every single thing that they needed to do so they could sit here, uh, sit on, on, on screen and just be themselves. You know, it was a real recipe for success, and for that, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm indebted to them. I owe them a, a great deal of uh, gratitude. So what's happened in the movie is she's just now, remember when I t told you that uh, she wasn't lying to her husband? Well, now she's lying to him. So at least I put it off for a scene. And uh, what happens here is in the script, she walks in, she looks and she says, wow, man, he makes lots of good furniture. I can never know he had that talent. And he jumps down and he says, you know, because he's asked her to come, he wants to show her something. And in the script, she says, oh, I don't know if I can go. I don't know what I should do. I waited for you for seven years, and you never called me, and blah, 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 blah. And they talk about it for two hours, and, uh, and, and she becomes emotional. And she was lovely in the scene, but it just didn't work, you know? It just, these two people felt, even though they're young adults, they felt very mature, and like they understood that they were there for one another from the beginning of time till the end of time. and. That that was a given. It was just a complication. The ducks are amazing. The, first of all, there are no ducks here. These are all laid in mosaics. Uh, what happened was we asked somebody, we wanted to do this duck thing and, uh, and geese thing, from the beginning, and we went to all the animal trainers, and all the most expensive animal trainers say, you can't be done, you can't do it, it's impossible, I don't want the job, blah, 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 blah. So our producers, Mark Johnson and Butch Kaplan especially, got the idea that we would buy a bunch of hatchlings, ducks, and we would train them every day to go out into the lake, and, and we would do that from the time they were young till the time we were shooting. And they would go out and they would feed them out in the lake and then we'd bring them back in. And there was a great deal of them. I, I don't know how many there were, but probably upwards of 500. And in the beginning, they were small and we housed them in one trailer and, and uh, they raised them. And Dan Heydrich, he was the mama duck. And every day they would come out so, and he would float around in a boat around them. So when the time came for them to come, because, you know, you don't just like get ducks on the water and say, you know, go swim over there. They just do what they want to do, and if they're spooked at all, they won't do anything. But we did it for three months, and the day came, and like I said, the ducks aren't actually there. Some of the ducks floated around, 
but we could basically, Dan, what we would do is we'd set up a camera and we'd have the ducks swim through and then we'd have them swim in another area and have it in another area. So the people over at the visual effects department, thank you guys for a great job you did, by the way, uh, would be able to We'd film that, and then so what they would do is they'd pick out the ducks and they'd put them all around, uh, put them all around the uh, the kids, and uh, it's it's quite an, it's quite effective uh, because you know I'm not a big fan of bad looking stuff or stuff that you know I mean a technical guy being a director and stuff I, I think it looks quite look, looks quite good and it's due to the the vision of Butch Kaplan and Mark Johnson and uh, that 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 came to uh, be. This is another freezing, freezing day. Look, you can see the steam blowing out of the thing. I guess the weather changes really, really drastically around these parts. But, I mean, it was, it was really, really cold. And this is where the crew fell in love with uh, Rachel because she went out there and she was freezing her tail off in this scene. And uh, she got out there, she got wet. The, uh, they, you know, and she went take after take after take, and and I and and it was so cold. I said, "Do you want to go in?" Because she was shivering, and she said, "No, nope, keep doing it, and keep doing it." And Ryan too, not lighting, by the way, computer. Um, uh, both of them were troopers being out there that day. I'm sure they would never want to relive that day. Uh, here's the, uh, this is what we call the dock scene. You know, she finally says, how come you didn't write to me? And he says, I wrote to you. And she says, you did? Oh, my God. And they kiss, and you know that they're going to, uh, they're, 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 they can't stand being away from each other any longer. And they, they, they have to, uh, they have to revisit to see if they still are in love. And clearly, Ryan is for her, and clearly she has, uh, Allie has, a, young Allie has a, a big dilemma. You know, she has a wonderful guy at home, but you know, this isn't this isn't to be denied. Now, the one thing I'm really, if I had one regret in the film, is that I shot a love scene that was quite a bit steamier than the one that you will see in this version. I mean, it's 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 a version of it, but once again, I, we turned it in and we got an R rating from, from uh, the MPAA and if you're in the uh, if, you wa if you watch the, the other scene and the deleted scenes, you can see it's a bit steamier, although there was not a you know, uh, uh, improper exposed body part in the whole thing and I, it was a weird experience for the MPAA because I said, but you don't see anything, these guys just you know, you don't see anything, and they say, well, we don't like the intent of the scene. I said, well, that's too bad. You know, you're not the thought police, but they are the ratings police, so they forced me to uh, to uh, take out certain things that uh, I wish that were in the, in the movie. So if you are watching the DVD, go ahead and check out the love scene. Maybe you guys think it's, uh, you know, it's not important, but for me it was, because... The, the totality between man and woman is not just, I love you, I love you, I'll wait for I'll wait for you. It is carnal. It is sexual. And, uh, and I wanted to, like I said about the, the job of being a director, my job is to try to create an environment 
or a world that reflects reality as much as I can. Can't always do it, and if you've seen my movies, probably you will agree. But that's what you're going for. And this seemed, this love scene seemed a little abbreviated to me, so I think it's fine, but as long as you're watching the DVD, you might as well check out the way I want it. You gotta be kidding me. I don't think I've given proper props to uh, my cinematographer, Robert Frez. Uh, I'd been wanting to work with Robert for about 10 years when we worked together, but before I worked with him, uh, he shot a film. He was a Jean-Jacques Arnaud's guy, and uh, he's just a lovely romantic shooter. And he shoots people, and especially lovers. He did the film, uh, The Lover, and uh, just, it's just so lush. I mean, if you look at, what you're looking for, at least I'm looking for, look at the values in the carpet and in her face and in her eyes. You know, it doesn't look lit, and it looks dreamy and beautiful. And uh, his, uh, his camera work is as good as, I mean, his lighting is as good as any, any, anybody in the world, period. And he happens to be a charming, fantastically hardworking guy. You'd come in on the day, days off, and he'd be talking. He'd be talking about. He'd be doing chart projections of angle of light and intensity of light and the red balance of light. And I'd be like, "Man, it's your day off. What are you doing?" He goes, "Well, I wanted to uh, to be prepared just in case you wanted the light to come from another side, or you would like it a little warmer or cooler." I thought, "Buddy, you got." Too much time on your hands, you know. Uh, but you know that's how the great ones think. They think uh, they think, you know, besides right on on the surface, you know, that's what makes them great. I like this shot. Uh, ah, here we go. This is uh, Martha coming. This is Martha's first day of shooting. She had never been in a, I believe, in a film before. She'd done some television, and uh, she got on the set and. And uh, she came up, and uh, Ryan and her had this scene right here. And, of course, you look at the light. It's a low light. It's towards the end of the day. So, of course, I'm rushing them through it. And uh, just watch what goes on in this young actor's face. And Mr. Gosling, too. These are two people that care about each other and knew what the rules were. And he's caught, you know, in a very compromising situation and she really doesn't have anything to say about it because she doesn't have any claim on him and he's disappointed because he's hurt her and she's trying to give him a way out and and be strong and oh, come on there's a lot of things going on in the scene it's uh it's uh for those of you who've never been in this situation I applaud you uh, but uh, yeah it re she, she really is a fine actress I've heard a lot about you. I've heard a lot about you, too. We're thinking about the film. We're thinking, you know, you can think about films like, well, if he loved, you know, Ali so much, how come he has another girl at all? It's like, because he's a man. He's not some kind of, like, simp, you know, that uh, or a monk. He's a man. And uh, it's possible to give your body away without giving your heart. And... Uh, uh, that might even be more depressing, and <laughs> the fact the fact that the two of uh, uh, 
the fact that the two of his girls are sitting there and talking to one another, well, anybody who has ever been in that situation, you know, I, uh, I envy you. Uh, so as we get into this part of the story, the things that you think about as a director, as a storyteller, is you think, wow, okay, it, it, this scene was really necessary. This meeting of the two girls was really necessary for me in that there's a distinction between if Allie wants to come back and see her ex-lover or the love of her life and wants to have an affair with him, that's and then go back to her her boyfriend or her fiance, excuse me. That's one thing. But if she comes down there and she has an affair with her love of her life, and then she lays around with him in the fire, and then the girlfriend comes over and she says, "Hey, I'd like to meet you." And I'm, you know, basically she's saying, "I'm going to be around now," and sends the other girlfriend off, and while she's in there, you know, playing house. That's something different. That's making a promise. That's kind of, you know, like that's falling. You know, if you've, anybody's ever had an old girlfriend or boyfriend, you automatically start falling into that relationship mode. But she's really making, you know, he loves her. He doesn't have anybody else. Martha is not no one, but his, her, his heart isn't hers. And she's kind of playing the fence right now. And it's really unfair that she's keeping, she's here setting up shop, being the girlfriend, meeting the other girlfriend, and and kind of falling into that relationship they had. A lot of people, uh, wow. Hey, Maureen, prop master, shout out, girl. Uh, we have, uh, <laughs> Maureen wrote that note, and there was a big discussion whether that note looked like it was... Uh, written by a man or a woman. I said, let's shoot it. Come on. Thinking about it too much. Where was I? I was talking about something. Probably something not very interesting. But uh, I was talking about here she is. She asked him to be part of his fantasy of recreating this house. He asked her, what do you want? And she said, I want a room that, so I can paint. And he gave her, he built a room, kept it for her. And she takes advantage of it. And so in, in Noah's mind, she's back. She ain't going anyplace. Oops, Joan Allen, going to be happy. Her daughter's naked and uh, not with the right guy. I love Miss Allen in this particular part because... She's not what you would be typically in a, in a film you would see a mother and she'd be shocked. Oh, my goodness, how could you? How could you do that? It's, you know, it's, it's your wedding. And certainly in the 40s, that's when we talked about uh, problems that we'd solve and the answer would be because it's the 40s. We still didn't want to do that. It's still got to be a shock to see your daughter sleeping with another guy that you thought you'd taken care of a long time ago, a couple of weeks before her wedding. But at the same time, my thought, my reality, the Nick's take on all of this is parents are smart. Parents know what's going on. Their parents have lived more than the children, and anything that the children can live, the parents probably can deal with because they're older and wiser. So I didn't want her to be some kind of unrealistic kind of person. 
I think this presents the situation presents a problem for the mother and Joan Allen. Go and get some clothes on. Let's take a drive. Let's take a drive. I think that it's it's nice that she doesn't say laugh at her daughter and say, Oh God, come on, let's get out of here because it is it is isn't that for me that much of a dynamic you can't have that much of a sense of humor about it but at the same time she wasn't overly hysterical she saw a problem and she wanted to show her daughter that it's okay to you know to hold your heart out for someone and be married to someone else in essence this is the ghost of Christmas future uh, she shows her daughter the man that she was in love with like she's in love with uh, Noah, and without saying it, look at the car she's driving, and look at how she does love her new husband, and look at the life she's chosen, and look at and she wants her daughter to look at it and say, "You sure you want this life?" Because you know, that's Paul Johansson, by the way. Hey, PJ, he's a wonderful, wonderful actor, and one of my great friends uh, a good basketball player but uh, I'll still back you down into the hole PJ listen they uh, she's showing her daughter just by telling her a story about how much in love she was with with this man she's just saying to her you know you could go either way she's all in the middle of trying to tell her or to show her how how she, Anne, has done the right thing, even though she's got a ring turned the other way around. I never even noticed that before. Nice job, Joan. Uh, even, even the middle of her trying to convince her daughter of one way, she betrays herself and becomes emotional. And she tells her daughter that she loves her daughter's father, with uh, the Dave Thornton part, and... Uh, and really kind of leaves the opinion of, uh, not the opinion, but leaves the choice to her daughter what she's going to do. And does it in a really kind of mature and elegant way, which uh, only Miss Allen could have made uh, that scene work. She, she as an actress makes the fair words good and the good words great. She's uh, far too fine an actress to work with the likes of me. So here you have it. You have this. Uh, you have this dilemma of, oh, there's Lon's car. What is she going to do? Which goes back to what we were talking about before. Uh, in this next scene, uh, we will have young Allie and Noah have an argument, a real legitimate argument. The argument is, hey. You came down here, you didn't come down here and have an affair with me because that would have been one thing and that would have broken my heart, but I would have taken it because I love you. But this is more, hey, you came down here, you stayed, we started getting to know one another again and now you don't know if you want to stay here with me? You don't know, because if that's true, Allie. the essence of the commitment we made to each other when we were young was full of, full of baloney. Anyway, that's the scene that's coming up. Uh, a lot of people said this didn't look like 365 letters, but indeed it was. She gets the letters, and uh, 
And there you have it. We're outside of the, this uh, plantation house now, which is probably the most beautiful place on earth. I want to thank the owners for letting us use their place. You know, I had a 150 people traipsing all over the thing, putting lights everywhere and cutting and, and fixing and doing, and they were very patient with us, the Davids, and uh, uh, I'd like to say thank you to them publicly now. Interesting morning. This is a scene where earlier in the movie, we established them as people that had a kind of a volatile relationship. She slaps them in the face, they laugh, and they, they yell at each other and scream at each other. And to me, I guess maybe because I come from a Mediterranean background, if you can't yell at the person you love and create a scene and have a point, not all the time, like, you know, we're not animals or anything like that, but if you can't be passionate about how you feel with a person that you love, then either you're from a very kind of cold weather climate where everybody keeps everything repressed or you're not being honest with the, uh, with the other person. And uh, that's why we have this scene. I mean, there is something that he says in there, and she says, well, look at us, we're fighting. Yeah, of course we fight. That's what we do. We fight. That's the nature of our relationship. You say something, I say no. You say, you know, I don't understand you. I say, you know, it's because you're impossible to understand because you're nuts. And, uh, and, <laughs> and for me, going back to what we're saying about directors again, if we didn't include that element into this story, relationships are hard, man. And he says we got to work on them every day. Well, maybe you don't have to work on them every day, but they sure as heck is hard. Look at me. I'm, I see the scene getting excited, and I start getting excited. And uh, I congratulate anybody out there who's able to make a relationship work because it's not the easiest thing in the world. Money! What are you talking He's got a lot of money. Anyway... We thought that in this particular scene that we needed to have a scene where they were back being children again because time may change. I'm getting to be an older guy now. I, look, I walk by the mirror and I think, whoa, look at that old guy. And uh, inside I feel fresh as a daisy and I, and I, and I feel the same way about, about uh, these two. They may have changed. He may have a beard and uh, she may be about to be getting married, but... The nature of love doesn't change. And uh, God bless Noah Calhoun for telling her that, for saying, look, man, just be honest. Do what you want. You know, I, I lost you once, and, uh, you know, if that's what you want, I'll lose you again. But in my heart, there's only you. And you know, you got to believe that. You and me, every day, will you do something for me? Please? just picture your life for me? One of the interesting things in this movie is, as a director, because I'm familiar with story and film to a certain degree, it, it never occurred to me that any of the audience would not realize what was going to happen eventually in this movie, that she was going to wind up with, with, uh, with Noah as opposed to Lon. I always thought that the audience would when James Garner reads to Jenna in the beginning of this movie that he's reading about two people that automatically 
movie audiences are savvy and they'd say, okay, it's it's the two of them and they're the, the two people that he's reading about initially, not the, the boy that she finds later on in the movie. But I was really surprised that uh, when the studio saw my initial cut, they said, oh, no, we got to keep the mystery alive if uh, which one of these... Uh, which one of these 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 boys she's going to choose? And I said they're going to they know they're going to know. I mean, of course she's going to choose uh, the one from her heart. And they said, don't be so sure. So I think that what happened when we when we altered our our our, our cut was I still don't believe that anybody really believes that she's going to wind up with Lon. Watch out, our girl's about to get hit by a car here. Oh no, no, she's okay. The uh, I still believe what we've done in the film is to say she's going to wind up with Noah, but wait a minute. Hold on. This Ah, come on. You don't really mean that she's going to wind up with Lon. It's not going to be one of those kind of movies, is it? And uh, But it was very important to the studio to keep that mystery alive about who she's going to choose. And to tell you the truth... They were right. I was wrong. They, uh, when I when he talked to people about this movie, they said, "No, I didn't know. I thought maybe that uh, it turned out to be Lon, and Lon was James Garner, and he was reading to her, and and uh, we were talking about the love of her life that got away, which was very strange for me because I guess for me the choice would be clear, you know, the the the, the one that. Uh, the one that uh, it would have made Allie a different type of character if she had chosen to do the right thing, as which Lon being the right thing, as as opposed to cho- uh, choosing what what uh, what her heart told her to. But uh, I'm glad it's effective, and I'm glad that uh, it, uh, it 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 adds a further complication to the movie that I didn't even dream was there, even though. I read it in the story. I just chose to give it not enough weight. Beautiful story. Yes, it is. I don't know why, but it makes me feel sad. I know you. We uh, we needed a a little bit more coverage here. Coverage being two close-ups right here because well, we didn't like uh, what we had had before. So this was also a reshoot. It really, really is hard for actors to come in and and do a a paint by numbers on a, on a scene they've already shot because it's it just it it feels like something that's gone by and to to get you just have to appreciate actors that can do it oh yeah we should, guess we should talk about southern accents. Uh, <laughs> there's an old adage that, uh, that in filmmaking that you take films to Canada because you get the ad- advantage of uh, me the Canadian dollar and uh, some some uh, budget advantages. So most a lot of movies now come from America and go to Canada. I'm the only guy in the world that takes Canadian actors and brings them to uh, America. That way. Uh, <laughs> The budgets are more expensive, but our, our two younger leads are Canadian, and and they had to work very very hard on on uh, their accents. I didn't want anything like designing women, or I wanted the accents to be very, you know, s- subtle as opposed to uh, broad. And uh, 
they worked for six weeks with uh, dialect coaches. Ryan picks up everything very quickly, uh, and uh, Rachel took a little longer, but and also had Kevin, Kevin Connolly, a kid from Long Island that's playing a Southern guy. It's a difficult process trying to keep it uh, young, and those of you from the South that can pick up the, uh, pick up the inauthenticities, uh, I apologize to you. We did the best we could. We just didn't want to drench it with too much South because we had a, a, a story to tell. But uh, the young actors did a good job. Did a good job. Jenna's uh, done many Southern characters before, so she had not too much problem with it. And, and Mr. Garner is from Oklahoma, so uh, it seemed to come uh, easy for him. As a matter of fact, it's a really funny story. Uh, Ryan, you have to understand, is this very kind of uh, focused and motivated and just a maniac in studying for his parts and very, very th thought out and has real ideas. And we had some complications for, for Ryan and James Garner to play the same character. Ryan's got blue eyes, Jimmy's got brown eyes. Uh, Ryan's got light hair, Jimmy's got darker, darker hair. And, and not only that, if we dyed Jimmy Garner's hair blonde, everyone would be going, oh my goodness, you know, because everybody knows James as being, uh, as being uh, dark. So we had some things to work out and some, you know, Ryan wanted to have some mannerisms of Mr. Garner and he wanted them to kind of blend into one cohesive being. So uh, Mr. Garner hadn't arrived on the set <laughs> and Ryan calls him as this young actor and goes, listen, I have some ideas about the... Uh, uh, listen, I have some ideas about the 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 accent and and uh, blah blah blah, and he can be very forceful, Ryan, when he talks and very persuasive. And and Mr. Garner said, "I'm not doing an accent. Audiences hate accents." And uh, he said, "Well, I think that just from the from the area, you know, with the regionality of the thing, I mean, it could be more hillbilly in nature, and uh, we have to decide what the class of it is." He says, "I don't know if you heard me or not, kid." I'm not doing an accent. And he goes, well, what should I do? He goes, you do whatever you want. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he, said, uh, he said, well, you know, I have blue eyes and you have brown eyes and uh, I have light hair and you have dark hair. And Jimmy said, yep, everybody knows Garner's dark. He goes, well, I guess I'll dye my hair a little darker then. And uh, he says, uh, do you mind wearing contacts uh, for, the, for the show, Mr. Garner? Garner says, I don't wear contacts. He goes, okay, well, I'll put... Uh, brown contacts in my eyes, and that's the way that exchange went. And uh, if you ask Riot, he laughs about it, too. But, uh, oh, there's the end of the, uh, that's the last time you see the young boy and the young girl. And uh, this is where uh, Jenna finally, what I like to call, you know, an hour and a half of torture for five minutes of pleasure, she finally remembers that it's Noah. And, and uh, you know, what I love about this movie is this movie she remembers the two people that should be together, get together, and she remembers, and everything's all going to be okay, right? No, it's not going to be okay. In about three minutes, she's not going to remember. He's going to realize that she's never going to remember. She's only getting worse. Uh, then uh, he's going to review pictures of their life together that they can never have. And then, she, then he's going to have a heart attack. And she's going to be led to lockdown into the Alzheimer's ward, which she's never going to get out of. And uh, he's going to come back and see her. But then they're both going to die. 
nice, heartwarming story. I, I actually am tickled by that notion because in a, in a, in a typical movie, and thank God New Line uh, let us do this, typical movie, the movie would end right there. But what I like to do is say, Jenna, I need to bum them out. Go ahead. Make me depressed. And uh, boy, can she do it. I don't think we've talked about work. Uh, I've talked about working with mom as, uh, as an actress. Uh, I don't really like to talk too much about my family and you know, personal things. But uh, since we're here, it's very interesting. You know, this is the woman that raised me from a child. And always the dynamic in my household was that uh, my mother and my father would go off and make movies and I'd go play or I'd be playing basketball or, you know, doing what kids do, you know, as, as uh, kids, I guess. But uh, now dad's dead and uh, he really never saw me direct any films. Uh, I was an actor when he was alive and probably not a very good one. And uh, he really never got to see the things that I do, and maybe that's good and maybe that's bad, but uh, it was interesting. I've, I've been very fortunate in my life to have, you know, the greatest actress on earth as a mother, and uh, which means many things, but probably most importantly, I don't have to go through her agent. Uh, she's been in three of the four films I've directed, and... Uh, you know, I'd be lying to you if I, I said that when I look at a movie that has a great part for a woman that could be Jenna, that, that it wouldn't be a factor into my decision-making and taking the movie. You know, part of the nature of life is, as children and as parents, we grow up and, you know, we become involved in our lives and we, we get busy. And uh, that's the nature of life, you know. We're more adult and we're more busy, and it's really not the same as it was when you were living under the same house and, you know, she was your mother and you were a kid, and like it or not, you spent every single day together. So it's a, it's a great experience being forced to be together and being given the opportunity to be together so much. And... Uh, even though the experience of directing my mother is uh, not exactly, it's not a father, father, where's father? It's not a mother-son dynamic. And I, I think I owe that to the fact that Jenna and John used to work together so many times and they were always able to totally separate being husband and wife, and I think the same is true for Jen and I on a, cer on a certain level. When we come to set, she's actress, I'm director, she gives me my space, and I certainly allow her her space. And, uh, but you, you would think it would be really great if we could say, uh, hold on, I have to talk about this. These are shots, these are composite shots, which uh, in the real pictures, that was my dad and my mother in there. But uh, we comped in Jimmy Garner's face and all of these. So these are all kind of personal photographs that are from my my mother's uh, my mother's collection that we we put together. And that's my mother's handwriting. I'll always remember that. Anyway, the uh, when we get to the set, we're separate, and it'd be great to say that oh. 
you know, we'd be able to fall back into some kind of mother-son dynamic of you never, you know, fed me or you were a bad son. It never get to that. It never gets to that. We talk about movies. As a matter of fact, as adults, we talk about film nonstop. And uh, it really is just I—, I the dynamic of us on set is I say, I had this idea, Mom, we should do this, do that, do this. And she goes, okay. And she tries it. And me personally, I think that my mother is really great when she knows what she's doing. She's a really wonderful actress, but when she doesn't know exactly what she's doing, she's supersonic. So my job as a director is to try to complicate the scene so she has to be reactive rather than coming in knowing what she's doing that's that's my personal approach with her and yeah she's game she's acted in i don't know how many movies but and and a great deal of movies with john that some of which were improvisational so she's a very fast thinker on her feet and uh she gets it and but even more than that she trusts look how great she is here oh my god one of this next shot here looking at my mother in this particular shot oh it's a heartbreaker but that's what I asked her to do. I asked her to break, uh, you know, to depress you at the end of this movie. She, uh, we have a great time and we really, really enjoy the time we spend together doing creative things, you know. I was brought up being taught by both my parents to write, try to remember to do something creative every day. Whether it's a movie or a poem or a picture or planting a garden, whatever it is, something creative. And uh, the fact that all these years later, and I'm 45 years old, that I'm still able to go and some days do something creative with my own mother. It's, you know, I live a very, very charmed life, and uh, well, I'm very lucky to have her as a mother. Where are you going? I was just taking a walk. There was a little bit of a dilemma for me after Jimmy has this heart attack and he's coming back to see Jenna, whether or not we should put gray in his hair and how bad we should look. And there's Starletta, beautiful actress Starletta. And if she should really look really, really old, and I think we kind of split the difference right here. Jimmy's such a robust guy, it's hard to imagine him ever being frail, but uh, he's, he's uh, quite spectacular. I won't be back to check on you for a while. So don't do anything foolish. This movie that we're shooting, a lot of times a misconception is the movie's the only important thing, if it's good or bad or if it's good or bad. And, 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 and it certainly has a lot of importance, but for me, the movie is never about how good or bad it is. It's about the experience we have when making it. This will be a DVD sitting on a, on a you know, blockbuster and... Uh, a number of years, and uh, we, as the creative people in the film, really what we're left with, besides the experience, is, is how it's changed us and mutated us into the, the artists that will be in going on to further work. And uh, for me, if I, I look back on this film, I I will value my explorations of love and timelessness and even the notion of Alzheimer's and, and loyalty and uh, 
and two people. It's, it's a strange world we live in, you know. We as human beings seem to need or want to have a person to share our lives with. And if we're lucky enough to do that, we have to go through great pain at the end of our lives. Either, you know, we watch our, our partners get old or we watch them die. But it's so much better than, than uh, what life has in store for us if we do it, you know, by ourselves. And I'm, I'm really lucky to have been able to uh, work in such a and such a beautiful canvas. And like I said before, some people call the movie sappy, and um, some people will find it maybe, uh, just maybe too sweet or, or sentimental, I've, I've heard as well. But I'm a sentimental guy. If you don't have any sentiment, all you have left is your thoughts. And as our society values, logic and thoughts and intelligence and there and that's those are all good good things but uh man we're all gonna die and uh we're all gonna have to face the fact of whether we're gonna be alone or we're gonna be with somebody and how we're gonna how much we're gonna be loved and how much we love i'm very very pleased that this film reflects the way I feel about love on many different levels. If it happens to be an entertaining movie for other people, I'm very, very pleased because I do like people to enjoy the work that I'm involved with. But movies are not about one person doing a good job and making a good movie. It's hundreds of people coming together and all working hard, trying to do something that has something universal about it, but also something that's special to each each person. And I can see that in this movie. I'll be seeing you. If uh, I had my life to live all over again, and they came to me with this movie, I'd do it in one second. Because, uh, because to me, the notion of two people falling in love and winding up growing old and dying in the same bed together holding hands is something that I believe in. As a man, I believe it. As a director, I believe it. As a filmmaker, I support the notion. I think it's an important thing to say. And if people, if people don't like it, then I don't think they have, I think they're lizards. They're not human beings. One day, the good news would be if uh, my lady and I wound up in bed together and we're able to take off into wherever leads us next together, Australia, wherever. So I'm happy to have made this movie. I want to thank everybody that, that uh, the worked on the film and uh, to New Line and uh, for giving me the opportunity to make this film, all the actors, Ryan and Rachel, Queenie, uh, Kevin, uh, James Garner, and I think I said Jenna, and uh, uh, everybody, Joan and Sam, Jimmy Marston. It was a great experience. Also, just a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, my name is Nick Cassavetes. I hope you enjoyed the film, and uh, uh, 
Take it easy.